We're going to continue our, um, our series in the, through the book of Ephesians this morning. I pray that God has, this will be our third lesson in the book of Ephesians, and I pray that the first two have already caused your heart to rejoice. I love that song that we sung this morning, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am his son, or maybe you are his daughter, but I am a child of God Almighty, adopted by him to be one equal with Jesus Christ in his inheritance in the family of God. And I pray this morning that as we go into this uh, next part of Ephesians that you don't lose track and miss all of the things that we have covered. As I told you before, I cannot cover every single detail of this like I would love to. We would be in Ephesians for the next two years if we did that. But, um, and so I want to try to hit the highlights and leave the, the meat on the bone for you to go home and dig into yourself and get some for yourself. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, Paul has just delivered a massive amount of doctrine as to who we are in Christ Jesus. The spiritual blessings and the benefits that we receive by, by having faith in Jesus Christ. And we, like Paul, are completely unworthy of this. You'll remember the, uh, from last week I told you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not worthy to be here. I am the least one worthy, especially to be called an apostle, for I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I worked even harder than the rest of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. And so one of the things that we hear from the Apostle Paul, no matter where you go, he will never boast of anything that he is. Any ability that he has, he will never, you will never catch him boasting in anything that he thinks he brought to the table because here's what he understands. I brought nothing to the table. And the same for you. You brought nothing to the table. Before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, before you ever did any right or wrong, God chose you if you have heard the gospel and he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is only because God chose you before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. And I pray this morning you understand that Paul has just laid out that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that he has literally took us in, not as slaves or servants, but he has called us to be his children, his sons and his daughters. Not to live in a spirit of fear that if we were disobedient that he would no longer love us. Listen, do you quit loving your children when they're disobedient? No, you don't. You love your children through disappointments. So why don't you quit insulting God by thinking that you know how to parent better than he does. If you know how to love your children through disappointments and hurts, do you not think that the perfect God in heaven knows how to love his children through hurts and disappointments? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And that is why I am so thankful for Ephesians chapter 1. We are redeemed. We have been purchased from our sin debt by the Son, by His death on the cross. So think about it like this. The Father planned it before all creation. The Son purchased it when He came and He gave His life. And the Holy Spirit is the one that preserves it. 
He's the one that sees it through. And so here you see in Ephesians chapter 1 the beautiful work of the Trinity in our salvation from before the creation was ever made to when creation is gone and it's all made new. You see it all right here in Ephesians chapter 1. God has done all of this to the praise of His glorious grace, He said, so that He might in the coming ages show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. Now think about what He's saying there. He's saying that the reason He did this, the reason He did this is because He wanted to make sure that in the coming ages He could show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, uh, Nathan or Riley, if y'all have got that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, I want you to see this. He's telling us that by grace we are saved. But in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 he says, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, God's whole purpose in this is so that when we all stand in heaven and we see all these people that are completely unworthy to be there, you did nothing except sin. That's it. And God said, I'll make you my son and I'll make you my daughter and I'll purchase it through Jesus Christ and I'll preserve it and seal it through the Holy Spirit so that when you stand before us in heaven, all you will be able to do is show that His riches of grace, undeserved mercy, are immeasurable in the kindness that He has shown toward all of us who are in Christ Jesus because we did not deserve it. Y'all see that? So quit thinking this morning that salvation has anything to do with what you deserve. You don't want what you deserve. And God didn't give you what, he, what you deserve. God has gave you His Son, purchased your redemption. So we are redeemed because of that. So going over to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 this morning. For this reason, after laying this massive foundation, you are chosen... You are, you, we, we see all these doctrines in here. You are chosen, you are redeemed, you are adopted, you are sanctified, you are glorified in Jesus Christ. You have an inheritance in Him awaiting you and you are sealed with the precious Holy Spirit. This massive amount of information has just been dumped on top of them. And so then Paul says this, For this reason... And I think it goes both ways. For everything that I've said before and for everything that I'm fixing to say now. For this reason, this is why I give thanks for you. This is the reason why I pray for you. And so here's what Paul knows. It's not just enough to teach good biblical teaching. You know, I had a few that got it. I'm not, I'm not insulting anybody here this morning, but let's just face it. I preach in here every Sunday. Nick preaches in here on Sunday. And the truth of the matter is, a big group of you will walk out and you never really got it. You didn't get it. I had a few people last week that got it. I had several phone calls. I had one young man call me crying just uh, about God has adopted him. And, he, and, and he, he just could not... I mean, he got it. That's all I can say to you. He got it. 
And it changed everything about the way he looks at God, everything about the way he looks at himself, and his eyes were just absolutely open. But here's the thing about it. You can teach and Paul can lay this massive foundation, but Paul knows that there's only one thing that can make you get it. And that's that God, through the Holy Spirit, open your eyes to be able to see it. And so Paul says, for this reason, I am moved to thank God for you and your faith, but I'm also moved to pray to make sure that you get it. And so what you're going to see is Paul is fixing to start praying for all the things that he just told them you've already got. And Paul says, God, I want you to give them this, even though I just told them they've already got it. And so we've got to figure out what is Paul doing here. Do they got it or don't they got it? And here's what Paul knows. They've got it, but there's a lot of people that don't get it. And so I know in Wells Baptist Church this morning, there's a lot of you here this morning that you've got it. You've got faith in Jesus Christ, but you still don't quite get it. And so it is my prayer through Paul's prayer here that everybody that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes, that you'll get it this morning that you'll understand. Knowledge is not enough. You have to experience this. But it can only be experienced and understood by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9. We'll read verses 9 through 11 right now. Listen to what it says. But as it is written, <clears throat> What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And here's what Paul is telling us in these scriptures. It requires the Spirit of God to understand the deep things of God. I just scratched the surface of all of these things. And so what Paul knows is that no matter how good I teach, no matter how much I give this out here, the truth of the matter is the Spirit of God is the only one that can open their eyes and open their hearts so that they can see and they can feel and they can get what it means to be chosen, to be redeemed, to be adopted, to be sanctified, to be glorified, to have an inheritance and to be sealed with the Holy Spirit as our guarantee that He will do what He said He will do in spite of what you do. You have to understand that it's not just having knowledge. It's about experiencing this knowledge. It's about your position in Christ. You have to understand where you stand in Christ and you have to know where you are in Christ before you can live out this life in practice. See, there are too many people that are backwards. You're trying to take the Word of God and you're trying to live out this life. You're saying, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to quit doing this and I got to quit doing this and I've just got to be more. And God's saying, No, no. You're going backwards. You're going back to Old Testament and to the law and, and it was never meant to be that way. What I want you to know is what I have done for you apart from you. And I want you to know your position 
in Jesus Christ. And when you know your position in Jesus Christ, it gives you the desire to live out what He has already claimed that you are. I am a child of God, not because I act like one completely just yet, but because He's called me to be one. And now I want to live out what He says I am. I am holy, I am forgiven, I am sanctified, I am a chosen people, I am a, a holy priesthood. I want to live out everything that He has already made me to be. And so this morning Paul wants you to, he, I want you to understand your position so that you can live out what God has already said you are apart from anything that you do. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? All right. I want to show you this. Because listen, you already have these things because of your position in Christ. You get that? But you don't quite have them all in practice yet, right? Are you holy yet? Only because Christ has made you holy. There are still a whole lot of things that you're working on. This is my problem with so many other religions is they're teaching a, a law-based religion. Well, if you, don't do, if you do this or you don't do this, you don't understand what it means to be a child of God. If you did, you would understand you've got this thing backwards. And so what you're going to see in the book of Ephesians is this. You're going to see that Paul starts out by saying, Here is your position in Christ. And then he prays, I want you to understand your position in Christ. And then he moves over into Ephesians chapter 2 and he says, here is some more of your position in Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 3 he says, I want to pray for you again that you understand your position and that you get it. And then he moves into Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 and he says, now based on your position in Christ, this is how you live it out. And you see that no matter where you go. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, therefore always means I'm, I'm giving you this statement based on everything I've just said, right? So based on the fact that this is who you are in Christ and I pray and you understand it, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You're already in the position. You're already there. You are already a child of God. And now, based on your position, I am calling you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And so are we walking in a manner that's worthy of the call that we are children of the Most High God? And that's what Paul is getting across at. You see it again in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 he says, Therefore, again, I'm asking you to walk worthy of your calling. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. Because you are children in God, I'm telling you now, live out your calling and act like God. Act like God. We'll see it again in many other books. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1, or Colossians chapter 3, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. We'll go down through it quickly. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then. In other words, if you've heard the gospel call. Because there's a lot of people that have not actually heard the call. But if you have been chosen and you have heard the gospel call. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So, based on your position, here's what you do next in verse 5. You put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Catch that. It's not an overnight process. You see that, right? It is being renewed because you're living out your calling that God has called you to. And it is being renewed in knowledge. Listen, don't ever think that I'm standing up here trying to sound like some professor to teach you doctrines of election or doctrines of sanctification or doctrines of redemption or doctrine of... When, when you hear the word doctrine, don't be put off. You are being renewed by the knowledge of God. This is one of the main processes of your growth is that you learn this stuff. And he says that you are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, here, there, is not, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all in all. Don't matter who you are or where you come from. If he called you, you're the same. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Did you catch that? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You weren't worthy of it, were you? But God gave it to you. You do the same. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to go to one more. I could go to every book and show you this. But in every book, you're going to see Paul lays the foundation of your position in Christ. And then he moves to show you, now I'm telling you how to live it out. Put this off, put this on. But you're not doing it so that you can be loved more by God. You're doing it because God has loved you enough to call you His child and now I'm living out the calling that He's called me to. Don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards. So go with me to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I'm going to show you because in Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 10 or all the way through chapter 11 Paul lays a massive foundation of your position in Christ and how you got there. And it's all doctrine. It's all doctrine. You have the doctrine of election. You have the doctrine of justification. You have the doctrine of sanctification. You have all these doctrines that he lays out in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. But then he gets to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and this is what he says. Now based on your position I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. And then from chapter 12 all the way to the end, he starts laying out how you live out your position in Christ. 
You'll see it in Galatians. You'll see it no matter where you go. If you can back out enough to be able to see the book, this is what you'll see. This is your position. This is where you are as a child of God. And now, in light of that, here's how you live it out. And that's what you're seeing right here in the book of Ephesians. And so Paul says here, I don't want you to just have knowledge. Yes, I want you to know your position in Christ, but I want to make sure you get it. Because until you get your position in Christ and you experience it, you're probably always going to be that person that lays his head down at night and goes, God could never love me. God could never love me because I just can't do right. Anybody been there? Got a few? God, God could never love me because I just... Listen, God don't love you because you did right. God loved you because he chose you. God loved you because he called you. And God called you to be his child. And he loves you because you are his. And so you lay your head down at night and you say, Daddy, I'm sorry that I don't do right. But thank you that I'm your child. And thank you that I know that you couldn't quit loving me any more than I could quit loving my children when they disappoint me. Y'all feel that? If you feel that, you might just get it. You might just get it. So Paul knows that you cannot exhort people to practice holiness and righteousness unless they first understand that God has already placed them in these things apart from what they do. Christian growth is never about trying to make God love you. And if it is, you don't get it. If it is, you don't get it. So in verse 15, Paul says, Because of your position in Christ, because I have heard of your faith. Look at it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith. In other words, if you have faith, it's only because God called you. It's only because God gave it to you. And so because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks and to pray for you. So first, Paul says, the first thing is, I'm thankful for you. Guys, listen to me. Paul is thankful for every single member of the church, even the most flawed ones, even the ones that you look at and you go, well, I love him in the Lord. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I love him in the Lord. In other words, what? In other words, I don't really love him. But because I have to in the Lord, right? And so Paul says here, guys, listen, I'm thankful. I am thankful for every one of you, even with all your flaws. Even with all your ups and downs, I'm thankful for you. I am thankful for your position in Christ because I know that just like myself, I was chosen completely apart from any goodness in me. I had a rebellious heart. I had a selfish heart. I didn't want God. I didn't want His ways. I wanted what I wanted, right? And Paul understands that his position in Christ is apart from what he deserved. I'm a child of God by the grace of God and that alone. 
And so Paul is able to look at each and every one of him, every person that has faith, and he's able to say, you know what? You're not here because you were good enough. You're, you're here because of the same reason I'm here. By the grace of God, I am what I am. With all my flaws, with all my faults, with all of my failures. And let me tell you, there's a list of them. And I'm not here because I didn't have those. I'm here because God gave me grace. The Bible said Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? The Bible does not say God looked and he saw that Noah was going to be good and Noah would build an ark and Noah would. No, the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace means God gave it to him in spite of anything he would ever do. Undeserved mercy. And you and I should be thankful for one another because we have together found grace in the eyes of the God of all creation. And so Paul says, I am thankful for your position in Christ. And then Paul says, I am thankful for your love toward all the saints. Listen, love is the mark of a genuine Christian. Okay? Love is the mark of someone who truly gets it. Now this is a growing process, so if you don't get it quite today, I understand the disciples didn't either. They fought with each other. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to sit at his right hand. They sneak off to the side, James and John, and say, oh, Jesus, hey, uh, don't tell the rest of them, but when we get to heaven, could we be the ones that sit on your right hand? And then whenever Jesus was talking to Peter in the book of John chapter 20, Jesus said, um, he said, now listen, Peter, um, you're going to suffer pretty bad when you die. And then Jesus looked at, or John looked at, or Peter looked at Jesus, and he said, well, what about that disciple that you love so much? What about old John? What about him? He going to have to suffer too? And then Jesus looked back at him and said, you know what? If I decide that he should live until the day that I come back, what's that to you? And so here's what we see is even the disciples had to grow in their love for one another. So I don't want you to think that you don't get it, but we need to be striving to get it because the more you get it, the more you are truly going to be thankful and love all of the saints. Look what he said again there in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward, what's that key word? All the saints. Here's what you have to be very careful of. God did not tell you to pick and choose who you would love. God does the choosing, not us. And so what we see here is love is the mark of a genuine Christian who understands their position in God both before Christ and their position in God now after Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. He said, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Don't pass over that, guys. You know why he's still in darkness? Because he don't get it. He don't get what God has just done for him. I'm a child of God and I do not deserve it. And so whoever says that he's in that light and he hates his brother, he's still in darkness. And the reason he's in darkness is because he don't get it. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. He gets it. 
And in Him there is no cause for stumbling, because love can never what? Can't fail. Verse 11, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In other words, you have not yet really got the call. And you've not been given the gift of faith. And your eyes have not been opened by the Holy Spirit for you to be able to see it. And so you're still in darkness. And so again, I say to you, this love has to be the genuine mark toward all saints. Every one of them. You don't get to choose. God does the choosing. Please get that this morning. Because it's tough, ain't it? It's hard, ain't it? Because don't you wish everybody was just like you? I mean, good gracious, y'all. Why can't y'all get right? I've got it right. Why can't y'all get right? Right? I mean, I know what I'm doing up here. What are y'all doing? I mean, that's, that's usually our mindset, right? But you need to make sure that you understand that God does the choosing. Everybody's not just like you, and you're not always right. I've only been wrong one time in my life. That's when I thought I was wrong, but it turned out I was right. So that's the way most people feel. If you are unwilling to show love, and when I say love, I'm not talking about a feeling. Yes, it is a feeling involved with it, absolutely. But you know, we've heard it many times. I'm talking about a self-sacrificial attitude, a humility within you, a long-suffering, a gentleness, a kindness, all of these things that you give externally out of you. And they come from you because you know what has been given to you. What's been given to you? Self-sacrifice. What's been given to you? Gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, patience, mercy, grace. Love has been shown to me. And now because I know that love has been shown to me, I love you. Apart from your flaws. Apart, apart from your failures. How many disciples do you think questioned God's choosing of Paul? Acts chapter 9 verse 26 through 28. Look at what this says. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas. Don't you love it that God at least lets a few of us get it? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them, among the apostles at Jerusalem, preaching boldly. In the name of the Lord. The apostles were mature enough, at least here, to show love to Paul. The disciples weren't quite there. They had to gain a little bit more understanding. And listen, it's okay, but that's the reason Paul is writing the prayer here. He says, listen, I've just told you your position, but here's what I know. There's a bunch of you that really don't get it. You don't get it. And I know that you have faith and there's love toward all the saints in here, but there's still some of you that still don't get it. And so not only do I want you to have knowledge of your position, but I want the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to your position so you can get it and so you can begin to practice it. And so we see there in verse 16, Paul says, Based on this, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you and to remember you in my prayers. I don't cease to give thanks. And the reason being is because I am thankful that you found the same grace that I found. I'm so thankful for that. And at the same time, I remember you always in my prayers because I know that there's only one way you're actually ever going to get it. And that's through the Holy Spirit. And so they cannot mature in their faith and love all the saints like they should unless they understand and experience their position in Christ first. So verse 17, Paul says this. He says that, um, let me find it in my Bible. That the God, here's what I pray in my prayers for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul understands that this can only come from God. And so Paul don't spend more time preaching. Paul don't spend more time writing. Paul don't try to go into it any deeper. But instead he says, okay, I've taught them as much as I can teach them. And now I've got to resort to the author of it all. So I'm going to pray to the one who it's his responsibility to open your eyes. It's his responsibility to open your heart, and it's all in his hands. So I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. Now when we see spirit here, I don't want you to think, even though some versions capitalize that spirit and some versions don't, I don't believe he's talking about necessarily or solely the Holy Spirit here. Reason being is because, remember, we've already got it. Remember up in 1 through 14, he said, You have been sealed when you heard the gospel of truth, when you heard the gospel of salvation, when you heard it and you believed it, you were sealed. Not after you found out that there was a baptism and then you found out somebody had to lay their hands on you and you had to jabber off a bunch of stuff. No. You received the Holy Spirit when you heard the gospel when you heard the call and when you believed, God said, I sealed you. I put my mark on you. I sealed you till the day that you actually acquire it. You're marked and you're sealed. And so he says here, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now here's the thing I want you to understand. When Paul talks about giving you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, the Holy Spirit is absolutely involved. As we read before, we can't get it apart from the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about what's in you. He's talking about, I want your spirit to get it. I want your spirit to have wisdom. I want your spirit to have revelation. This word revelation is a word that means an uncovering. Another translation of it would say, I pray for a spirit of unveiling. In other words, that the veil would be lifted and that you would be able to see it. And so I'm praying that your spirit is able to have the veil lifted and that you're able to see it. This is a request for the Holy Spirit to uncover and reveal who Jesus Christ actually is, who His person is, and all about His finished work and what that means to you. And He wants you to understand it. That's all this is. God, I want their spirit to get it. And they can only get it if it comes from you and your spirit. And then, this word knowledge. He says, in the knowledge of 
him. That word comes from a word in the Greek that means knowledge that you gain from a first-hand relationship. In other words, here's what he's saying. God, I want you to open their hearts and their minds and give them a spirit that they're able to see Jesus for who he is and actually know him personally. Not just from what the preacher says about him or just from what they hear about him, but they actually know him. How many of you want that? Jesus, I want to know you. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want you to be my best friend. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is praying for us here. He's praying that we can know the person. You know, you think about this. Most of this comes from the Scriptures. Remember, I told you that it comes through knowledge, right? Being renewed day by day in knowledge. Most of this comes from the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit revealing Christ to you from the Scriptures. But here's the thing about it. It's likely that there's a big part of us that pick this Bible up and open it up and see absolutely nothing. And you know why? Because you don't really know the author. Think about it like this. If you have a newspaper, you pick that newspaper up and you may read through it and thumb through it or some mornings you may just look at it in the, uh, on the counter or wherever and um, you never really pay it that much attention. But what happens when your child is in that newspaper? What happens when your grandchild is in that newspaper? What happens when you're in that newspaper? What happens when your brother or your sister or your family is in that newspaper? You take that newspaper and you buy that newspaper, right? And not only do you buy that newspaper, you read that newspaper. And not only do you read that newspaper, but you read it again. And then you read it again. And then you look at it again. And then after you've read it and you've looked at it, then what do you do? You cut it out. You laminate it. You know why all of a sudden that newspaper just became the greatest thing that you've ever read? Because you knew the person. You knew them. You knew them. And so if you want the Holy Spirit to actually be able to reveal to you, you've got to have a desire to know the person. God, I, and that's the reason I teach my, um, my class where I'm trying to teach them how to study the Bible. I teach them that one of the questions we always ask ourselves is, what does this teach me about God? When I get through reading the scripture, I say, what does that teach me about God? And the reason I do that is because I want to know him. And the way I get to know him is by figuring out what he tells me about himself in here. And so we have to want to know the person. And then the Holy Spirit will give your revelation to your spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again. We were just there. I want to read verses 14 through 16. <clears throat> Same, we were there earlier and all it was talking about was you have to have the Holy Spirit to understand the deep things of God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And because we have the mind of Christ in us, we have the author of it all telling us who he is. And he wants us to know him. And so Paul says here, God, give them a spirit of wisdom to be able to know him. 
Give them a spirit of revelation so that it uncovers their eyes so they can see him. I remember that time in my life whenever I picked up this word right here and I was like, oh my, and I can say that because it's, it's true here, oh my God. I've never seen this word come alive like it is right now. And I pray for you that that's what happens and that's what Paul is praying for. I pray that when you listen to a sermon, when you pick up the word of God, that God gives something inside of you that says, Oh my God. <clears throat> the instrument that God is giving to use this, to give this knowledge. Look with me at verse 18. Remember he said in verse 17 that I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of Jesus. And the instrument that I'm going to use to make sure you get it is not your mind. I'm not just trying to give you knowledge so that you have a mind full of knowledge. Yes, scripture memorization is important. But you can memorize the whole Bible and still not get it. And you can only know one scripture in the whole Bible and get it. And so he says here, here's the instrument I'm using. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know three things. I do not have time. Golly, how does this happen? Mm. I take Austin, I take Austin to, the, um, to the funeral home with us a lot because... He's our child. We, we are, we're always at the funeral home. He has to be there. <clears throat> he asked several questions a couple weeks ago about death. And he wanted to know about dying. And he was asking about himself. And I remember I was telling Austin, I said, listen. And I pointed at his, at his arm, at his skin. I said, this is not Austin. I said, that's not Austin. And he stopped for a minute and he said, who am I? <laughs> and I said, well, you're Austin. That's who you are. I said, but this is not Austin. I said, Austin lives in this. This is where Austin lives. And I said, I want you to understand something. I said, Austin lives inside of this body. And the Bible calls it the heart of Austin. And it's not talking about inside of an organ that pumps blood back and forth to vessels. It's talking about the center of who you are. And so what Paul is saying here is this. God don't want your brain. God don't want any of your organs. God's not looking for, God's not looking for anything from you. But God is looking for you. And so he says, God, I pray that the eyes of their heart, of who they are, I pray that that is what you would enlighten, that you would reveal this to. And that's what I pray, that you would open this up so that they can see and not just know it, but if the eyes of your heart are opened up, what happens? You experience it. 
And so Paul says, listen, I want you to give them the spirit of wisdom. I want you to give them the spirit of revelation. And let's just go quickly through the last part because you've got my message. Because here's the thing about it. This is not a work I can do, but I promise you this. This is the will of God for your life. And if you want this, Jesus said, all you have to do, whatever things you ask in my name according to my Father's will, He will do it. This is a prayer you can pray for yourself and for your family and for all of those that have faith. And guess what? He will do it. He will do it. And so Paul knows this and that's why he prays it. And so he says, let's start in verse 17 again and just go through it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that he would use your heart to enlighten it, open the eyes of your heart that you may know. I want you to know three things. I want you to know your hope. I want you to know your hope, your eternal destiny. I want you to know exactly what God has for you. You know, there are too many Christians that walk around hopeless because of the circumstances in this world. If you're a child of God, can circumstances possibly change who you are in Him? It don't change who you are in Him. Your hope does not change. I want you to understand not just the hope to which He's called you to, but I want you to understand and know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. I want you to know that God is your reward and all the ways that His glory can be manifested. You think that there are great things on this earth? It's cursed. Imagine when God's glory is manifested in a place where there's no more curse. God is your reward and the riches are endless. And then the last thing, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power. And I love these next two words. Look at this. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power? What? Toward us. Toward His children. There is power that we don't know how to access. You know why? We don't get it. Paul said, I want you to get it. And then he spends the rest of the chapter telling you about this power. He says, first off, it's according to the working of his great might. Working of his great might. It's working what? Toward you. And it's a great might that's working in toward you for your good, not for your bad. Go to verse 20. This is a power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is life-giving power. This is power that He's giving toward you. This is power that seats Christ at His right hand in heavenly places. Go to verse 21. This is power that is far above any rule. Listen, I don't care who the president is. I don't care if the Democrats get the house. Don't get me wrong. Should I vote? Absolutely. I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you this that the United States can crash and burn and it does not change the power of God. It is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion and it is above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. There's not a name that is greater and has more power. Verse 22, let's finish it up. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Here's the point. God wants you to know your hope and he wants you to experience it. God wants you to know your riches as his child and he wants you to experience it. 
And God wants you to know His power toward you that it is immeasurably great and it is for you and it is to you. And I want you to not just have a knowledge of it, but I want you to experience it. You cannot practice being a child of God until you know that you are a child of God. So I pray that you know that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is my prayer just like Paul's that you would give us, all of us here this morning, God, I'm praying that you give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge, the first-hand knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that, Lord, you would lift the veil from the eyes of our heart, and God, that we can know Him. Father, I pray that your scriptures would not just be like a newspaper laying on the counter or something we throw in the back seat of the car until next Sunday. Father, I pray that it would be your living and powerful word that renews our minds and our hearts daily. I pray that we know the author and that we want to cut it out and laminate it and, and read it and read it and read it. And Father, I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart. I pray that I, not my mind, that I would know you. And I pray that all of these people here, not their minds, I pray that they would know you. Father, I pray that they would know the hope that you've called them to. I pray that they would know that they should never be hopeless, no matter what the circumstances of this life, because this world is not our home. Father, I pray that they would know the riches of your glorious inheritance. God, that you are our reward, and you manifest yourself in endless beauties. Father, I pray that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power that is toward us, toward me. Father, I pray that you help me to experience your life-giving power. I pray that you would help me experience that, God, you are above all rule, all dominion, all powers in this age and in the age to come, that there will never be a greater power than you. Father, open our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts and let us see and experience who we are in you. And God, I pray that we will be forever changed based on our position in you and that alone. God, thank you. Thank you. We love you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.